there are two-thirds of this eight billion plus world that has never heard the name Jesus. So there's 2,000 languages of the 7,000 languages that exist that do not have the word of God that you're holding in your hands. We are under commission by our Lord to let them hear. Amen? And we're now going to hear. And we should hear it with humble and grateful hearts. What a privilege. What am I honor to hear the word of God. Acts chapter 8. We're looking at and reading together or watch, uh, listen along as I read Acts 8, 9 through 24. And that is page 632 in your pew Bible. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed with them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven of you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. Let's pray. Father, we come, having heard a very serious story about a man who outwardly, externally placed his faith in you, and yet internally his heart was not changed. Lord, his motives were wrong and wicked and selfish, and yet for all practical purposes he appeared to be a true believer. Lord, self-deception is something we're all susceptible to. And I pray for all of us this morning that as we have heard the word of God and as we're about to hear it preached, that your spirit would show to us the condition of our hearts and we would see if our faith is a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or if it's a faith that doesn't really save and deceives. Lord, 
you're gracious, you're ready to save all who come to your son. And so we pray that that would happen today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris, for leading us in our scripture reading. And Sarah, thank you for singing, leading us in worship, and the praise team as well leading us in worship too. And now we're going to worship by hearing the Word of God. Every year, uh, my medical insurance requires that I get a health physical. How many have the same kind of insurance? Yeah, there's a few of you there. Uh, I often wonder, is it because they want to know what the risk is to insure me? And I uh, haven't quite figured that one out. But this, two weeks ago, I went to see my doctor for a physical examination. And I went into his office, and the doctor there asked, proceeded to ask me all kinds of questions, such as, do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you exercise? I could answer yes and no to those. I'll let you figure out which ones, too. And, uh, and then he asked me, do, do, do you, are you able to sleep through the night, or do you have to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom? I looked at him and said, I'm not that old yet. And, uh, and then he even asked me, well, some other questions that I won't divulge here this morning. And, uh, and then he, uh, they took my blood pressure, they took my uh, temperature, they uh, sent me off to the lab, and I, I had to give blood to be sent off to lab work where they read out all this stuff about me. And then this nurse came in, and she ushered me down the hallway into another room, and I had to lay down on, on this mat of some sort or this table, and she hooked me up, and they did an EKG to me. First time I ever had that done to see that my heart was working all right, and it wasn't out of rhythm or anything like that. And, and so I have good news and bad news. Are you ready for it? The good news is I, I'm in pretty good health. And the good news is I, the odds are fairly certain, are in my favor, that my wife and boys are stuck with me for another year. The bad news is I have to go back in another year for a health examination. Well, this morning, that's what we're here for. We're here for a spiritual examination from God himself, from the Word of God. Dr. Luke, if you will, Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a physician himself, and Dr. Luke is here to give us a heart examination, a heart checkup. And we have an appointment this morning, and I hope you won't run from your appointment. One of the most fearful realities in all of Scripture is that some who think they are saved will be eternally lost. Jesus actually tells us, back in the Gospels in Matthew 7, that some people go through their whole life thinking that they are on the narrow road of saving faith that leads to heaven. But in reality, they are on the broad road that leads to hell. They will one day hear from Jesus Christ Himself the most shocking, terrifying words any person could ever hear. I never knew you. Depart from me. And to their horror, they will discover too late that there is such a thing as a faith that does not save. And so the passage that we are coming to this morning, it's very important. This is a critical passage. This is a heart check for every one of us here. Because it, it's a basic principle in the Bible that whenever the gospel is proclaimed, whenever 
We let people hear the gospel. Some will believe with saving faith, and some will believe with false faith. This is what we see here in Acts chapter 8. Dr. Luke records for us two examples. We have the example of genuine saving faith in the Ethiopian eunuch later on in the chapter, which we will look at next Sunday. But Luke first gives us this rather sober example of superficial false faith in a man known as Simon the Sorcerer. Who is Simon the Sorcerer? We're noticing this in your notes coming up on the screen. Simon appeared to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. Simon appeared to be a true believer in Jesus Christ, but was exposed to be a false believer who never was truly saved. We learned last Sunday that the mission of the church, the mission of our church here at Glenwood, is to let them hear the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And those first Christ followers, they're in that first century church in Jerusalem. They let their city of Jerusalem hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that church exploded in growth. But up to this point, they have not moved beyond the city of Jerusalem to let them hear the gospel. And so God, we learned last Sunday, God uses persecution of the church to scatter the church into Judea and Samaria. And Luke tells us in Acts 8, if you remember there in verse 4, those who were scattered, what? They went everywhere doing what? Preaching or proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, out of all the thousands of Christ followers that were scattered into Judea and Samaria, one of those was Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed the gospel to those people in the city of Samaria. And so here's Philip crossing cultural boundaries, racial boundaries, to proclaim the gospel to people who have never heard of Jesus Christ. And as a result of hearing the gospel, and as a result of receiving and believing, there was great joy in that city. It's at this point that Luke kind of stops here in the book of Acts. And he interjects this story here about Simon the sorcerer. Who on the surface seems to have been saved along with all the other multitudes of men and women who believed in Jesus Christ there in the city of Samaria. In fact, in verse 13 here of this chapter, it says, Then Simon himself also believed. In fact, he was baptized. And he continued with Philip. But then something happens that exposes this belief to be false. The apostles come down from Jerusalem and they lay hands on the Samaritans so that they receive the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw this, let me tell you, he got all excited. And he offered money to Peter and John saying, hey, give me this power so I can confer the Spirit on people too. And Peter rebukes Simon saying, your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. So what are we to make of this? What does this mean? Well, I take this to mean that Simon was not a true believer, but a false believer. 
His heart is not right with God. He still needs to repent, and so he has no part or portion in this matter of Christianity. In fact, this is confirmed by the tradition of the early church that later on says that Simon went on to become a heretic and not a true believer. So what a heart check we had before us this morning. Dr. Luke is giving us something critical here. In fact, Luke is giving us a warning this morning. And it's a warning for all of us here today. What is that warning? Look at it coming up on the screen in your notes. Simon is a warning that there is a faith that does not save. That there is such a thing as a faith that does not save. It is false faith, not saving faith. And so Simon is a warning that not everyone who says they believe is actually a true believer in Jesus Christ. Their faith is false faith, not saving faith. Luke tells us that Simon believed, was baptized, and even continued with Philip, and yet he proved to be a false believer. Jesus, in essence, warns us of the same thing in Matthew 7, 21, when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what we have here before us this morning is both Luke and even Jesus himself are warning us that there is such a thing as a faith that does not save. Now, the good news here this morning is that we have this example of Simon. We can look in the Word of God here, and by looking in the Word of God, we can know what this false faith looks like through the example of Simon. And we can evaluate our own hearts, our own faith in light of this. In other words, we can invite God to do a heart check on us as to whether or not we have saving faith or false faith this morning. So a faith that does not save. Number one, look at it with me. What kind of faith is that? Well, a faith that does not save is a faith that is mere amazement. Simon was a sorcerer. Now, don't thank Harry Potter. How many of you, that was the first thing that came to your mind when Chris read the passage for us? Simon the sorcerer, and you thought Harry Potter. He was a sorcerer who amazed people with his magic. Notice again what Luke writes in verses 9 through 11. It says, Now there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city, and he astonished the people of Samaria. In fact, he did. He astonished them so much, he claimed that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. So here's the situation. Before Philip entered the city here, performing miracles, we have Simon. Simon was the star attraction performing magic. But his magic is not the art of illusion. Don't think magic as we see today. Don't think David Copperfield. This isn't David Blaine doing street magic. This isn't Chris Angel doing escape tricks. No, Simon's magic is more like witchcraft and occult practices. And it was demonic in power. In other words, it was energized by Satan and his demons. And Simon used his magic to exercise power over the people, it says, for a long time. 
So it's no wonder then that Simon claimed that, hey, I am someone great. And the people in the city of Samaria, they esteemed him as someone great, saying, hey, this man is the great power of God. Susan Garrett in her book, The Demise of the Devil, writes, Simon was no mere con artist or cheap charlatan, but someone far more sinister, endowed with the power of Satan and disguising himself as the great power of God. And so for Simon, here's the context. His magic brought him fame. And no doubt it brought him fortune as he amazed people with his power. Meanwhile, Philip arrives in town. And Philip arrives proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ and performing miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. And according to verse 7, Philip even cast out demons and many who were possessed. And he healed many who were paralyzed and lame. Which all indicates that Simon's evil power, let me tell you, it held sway over the city. And now through Philip's ministry, it is being broken by the greater power of Jesus Christ. So what's Simon's response to all these miracles Philip was performing? Well, his response is given to us in verse 13 when it says, Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. But then, notice carefully, Luke is careful to qualify Simon's belief in the second half of verse 13. When he writes, and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. We actually see this same amazement back in the Gospels. When Jesus was still here on earth, and Jesus was doing the same thing. He was performing miracles. And his power was evident before the people. In fact, in John chapter 2, verses 23 and 25, we're told, Now when he, that is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. In other words, the miracles he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. In other words, this believing by the multitudes of people was merely amazement in the miracles Jesus performed. And Jesus, being God, he could, he could see into the hearts of men. And he knew they did not have saving faith. They did not trust in him personally. They merely believe in his miracles and in his signs. And so here's what we learn here. Saving faith is more than amazement. You see, Simon amazed people with his magic. And now he was amazed at the miracles Philip performed. Simon's belief only reached a level of amazement, not saving faith. In other words... What Simon had been producing in the Samaritans by his magic, he was now experiencing in himself when he saw the miracles that Philip performed. Namely, whoa! Blow me away! Man, that is awesome! I can't, how did you do that? He's amazed. 
He's one who amazed with magic, and now he himself is amazed by the miracles that Philip is performing. But saving faith, folks, listen to me, is much more than mere amazement at miracles. Saving faith is total surrender to the person of Jesus Christ. It's total trust in the work of Jesus Christ for our salvation. So the first thing we learn from Simon is mere amazement is not saving faith. Number two, a faith that does not save is a faith that is in Jesus Christ and. Philip enters the city of Samaria. And he's performing miracles in the name of Jesus. And he's proclaiming the message of Jesus. And through Philip's ministry, get this, a revival broke out in the city. This was no small revival. This was a huge revival of people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But there was something radically different about what Philip was doing. It was not magic. It was miracles. And these miracles pointed to a message beyond the greatness of the miracle. The miracles that Philip was performing, they pointed to a crucified and risen Savior who could forgive our sins and heal our souls. And when the people heard about the message these miracles pointed to, Luke tells us in verse 12, they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Now, as you can imagine, as more and more people believed, the more Simon saw his fame decline and his following dwindle. Let me tell you, his star was fading fast. And if you can't beat him, join him, right? So according to verse 13, that's exactly what Simon does. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. So on the surface here, Simon's faith looks like the most remarkable conversion in all of Samaria. I mean, people got to be like, holy cow, I can't believe he got saved. Whoa! This is unbelievable. Luke says this man who had, quote, bewitched the people with his demonic powers for a long time believed in Jesus Christ. He was baptized. He even started following Philip around the city. But upon closer examination, we see the real object of Simon's faith in verse 13. And seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Notice this in your notes, the object of Simon's faith. You see, Simon appeared to believe in Jesus Christ, but what he really believed in was the miracles he saw, not the Messiah they pointed to. You see, the miracles Philip performed were simply signs intended to point people to Jesus Christ not just amaze people. As most of you know, we take a lot of vacations uh, and travel to Colorado. Uh, we go there frequently as a family. We enjoy Colorado. And if you've ever driven on I-70 going west, uh, you will come to the Kansas-Colorado border. 
and you will see a sign on the right-hand side. It's a brown wooden sign that simply says you are now entering colorful Colorado. Well, let me tell you, there's nothing colorful at that moment in time right there. There's nothing colorful when you now cross past that sign and you look and you're like, this is nothing but brown. This is ugly. This is really ugly. This is the armpit of America ugly. All right? And yet the sign says you are entering colorful Colorado. That's the sign. And what's interesting, I kid you not, almost every time we drive past that sign, there are at least one, two, three, sometimes even five cars stopped right at that sign. You know what those people are doing? They're getting out of their cars, and they're taking pictures of themselves in front of that sign. And as I drive by, I just want to roll down my window and yell at them. What are you doing wasting your time? That's just a sign. Let me tell you, the beauty is still ahead. Just wait till you get to the mountains and see the real thing. Now get this, though. Can you imagine with me? Can you imagine driving all the way across the state of Kansas? And Bill, I'm with you. Kansas is beautiful. But can you imagine driving all the way across the state of Kansas, stopping at that sign, getting out of your car, and tell, taking selfies of you in front of that sign, having your selfie stick that you borrowed from Brandon, <laughs> getting back in your car, and driving back home to Kansas City? I mean, what's up with that? You drove to see the sign, and yet you missed the real thing? Listen, in essence, that is what took place in Simon's heart. He saw the signs, but he missed the Messiah. He missed the real, authentic thing, the person that the signs pointed to. Listen, Simon believed in the signs. He believed in the miracles, though, more than the Messiah the miracles pointed to. Simon was a sorcerer who used his magical powers for a long time in Samaria. He knew real power when he saw it. And so when Philip came to town and not only preached to Christ, but performed miracles, he knew the power was real and that it was stronger than his power. And so let me tell you, Simon was ready to switch sides. He even tried to buy the power with money. He wanted it so badly. Simon, he had some level of faith here. But it was mainly focused on the miracles Philip was performing rather than in the message of Jesus Christ that Philip was proclaiming. Perhaps Simon even believed in the sense that he was persuaded Jesus was real and that Jesus was the Messiah, but here's the problem with it. And it's the problem with most con false converts. Simon believes in a Jesus and gospel. That is, Simon believes in Jesus and his magic, and his agenda, and his personal fame and fortune. Simon is a guy who wants Jesus in his life, but what he wants more is the power of miracles. And what he doesn't want is to give up full control of his life to Jesus Christ. A lot of people are like this. 
they have a, if I can call it, a Jesus and me conversion. A Jesus and me conversion. In other words, they kind of say to themselves, I'll follow what Jesus says, I'll let him be a big influence in my life, but I reserve the right to exempt out of a few things that I either don't like or I don't want to do. And so it's Jesus and some area in their life that he can't touch, like family, friends, job, career, money, sexuality, you name it. But the true gospel, folks, listen, understand the true gospel of Jesus Christ demands total surrender to Jesus Christ alone. Not Jesus Christ and whatever you want to tag along on it. Kevin DeYoung, he states the problem this way. Sometimes we just want God to be nothing more than a magician, a genie in a lamp. Give him a rub and watch him do his thing. We'll ladle up a little bit of Jesus as long as he fulfills our plans. Anything for a little more power or a little more improvement in our circumstances. But the walk of genuine faith is the walk of Calvary. It carries a cross and it takes a lifetime. When we have, quote, faith like Simon, we come to Christ to make our dreams come true. When we come to Christ with saving faith, we come to Him to call Him Lord. And so the second thing that we learn here from Simon is faith in Jesus and whatever you want to add to it is a false faith that doesn't save. Number three, we learn that a faith that doesn't save is a faith that is not sealed with the Holy Spirit. True saving faith always results in being sealed with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. But that's where it gets a little confusing here in our story because that's not the way it happened with these new believers here in the city of Samaria. Luke tells us in verse 14 that when the apostles in Jerusalem heard about all these Samaritans who were getting saved, who were believing in the name of Jesus Christ for their salvation, let me tell you, when they caught word of it, news of it, they're like, man, we got to go check this out. News traveled up to the city of Jerusalem, and these guys are like, whoa, what is Philip doing down there? He was just a lay guy in our church. And now he's scattered, and he goes down to the city, and all these people, there's great joy in the city. What is going on? we got to go see this for ourselves. And so they sent Peter and John to check it out. Peter and John arrive on the scene, and here's what happened in verses 15 through 17. Look at it. It says, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the, of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say, please listen, what happened here, what we are reading here for these Samaritan believers is not the norm. The normal pattern that we see throughout all the New Testament after this transitional period in the book of Acts is that all believers are sealed with the Spirit at the moment of their salvation. We can go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 where it says, In Him, in Christ, 
You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's the norm. So why now is it different for these Samaritan believers? Why did they not receive the Spirit at the moment of their salvation? Well, remember what we learned last Sunday. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. In fact, even many of the Jewish Christians at that time believed it was just not possible for these people, these Samaritans, to get in on the blessings of salvation. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon the new believers in Samaria by the apostles, Peter and John, laying hands on them. Now one reason God did it that way, and we don't have time to get into all this, but let me just say, one reason God did it this way was to ensure that the church would be unified under the same Lord in the same Spirit. As John Stott asked, the Gospel had been welcomed by the Samaritans, but would the Samaritans be welcomed by the Jews? Or would there be separate factions of Jewish Christians and Samaritan Christians in the church of Jesus Christ? Wayne Grudem explains it. God sovereignly waited to give the new empowering of the Holy Spirit to the Samaritans directly through the hands of the apostles so that it might be evident to the highest leadership in the Jerusalem church that the Samaritans were not second-class citizens but full members of the church. It's at this point in the story, though, where Simon begins to show his true colors. Verse 18 says, Now when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Let me tell you what's going on here. Philip, Philip had impressed Simon. But Peter and John, let me tell you, they, they blew him away. So Simon brashly said to them in verse 19, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, Simon, he's treating Peter and John as though they were fellow magicians. And he was ready to negotiate a price to buy the secret of their power. And let me tell you, he's willing to pay whatever it takes to get that power. Here's the point. Simon was never sealed with the Spirit because he never truly trusted in Jesus Christ to begin with. Simon was never really interested in Jesus Christ. Only the power. He's only interested in a power which he could use to exercise control over people. He just wanted to continue his old business of manipulating people in order to magnify his fame, magnify his fortune. And he wanted to do it in the name of Jesus with the help of the Spirit. As John Bloom writes, and like many who have once experienced the euphoric drug of other people's adoration, Simon wanted that rush again. If he could somehow get this Jesus power, then once again he could be great. Once again, people would hold him in awe. He was willing to pay a high price for that drug. But folks, God's power is not for sale. Simon viewed the Holy Spirit as a commodity to be bought rather than a gift to be received. Nothing God has is for sale. Nothing. Not our salvation, and certainly not His Spirit. 
Listen, God's grace and God's blessings are poured out freely to His children. And we say thank you for that, right? Man, I love what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, verse 1, where God cries out, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So it's no surprise here to see Peter reacting with such outrage at Simon's attempts to buy God's power. And Peter, this is interesting, he does not mince words when he tells Simon in verse 20, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. That phrase there that Peter uses, the, the, the J.B. Phillips paraphrase, conveys the actual sense of the, Peter's words when it translates it this way, to hell with you and your money. In fact, that's actually the literal meaning in the Greek here of what Peter is saying to him in his rebuke to him. To hell with you, Simon, and your money. You say, why? Why such strong words from Peter? Because apart from true repentance, that is exactly where Simon would go. Hell. This is a serious matter. We should open up our hearts to God and let Him check it as to whether or not we have saving faith. Because there is such a thing as a faith that does not save. Which brings us to the fourth thing we learn from Simon's false faith. A faith that does not save is a faith that is rooted in an un repentant heart. Peter identifies the root problem when he tells Simon in verse 21, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Or literally, your heart is not straight before God. You see, at the root, at Simon's false faith, was a heart problem. His heart was not right before God Almighty. His heart was still crooked. His heart still needed to be changed by the power of God. He's still seeking the same thing he has been seeking after his whole life. Fame and fortune. Power and praise of men. He still wanted to be a great power broker. Just like it says in verse 9, claiming that he was someone great. Simon was looking at Christianity as a form of magic, and he missed the message of Jesus Christ entirely. Notice what he's missing. Notice this in your notes. Simon was missing a recognition of his sinfulness and a willingness to turn to Jesus for forgiveness. But Simon's heart problem, folks, listen, here's the danger. Because in many ways, we are all deceived by our own hearts. And here's the problem. His heart problem is not limited to just him. 
This is the condition of everyone's heart before they repent and believe in Jesus Christ. We all have crooked hearts that are bent towards sin. We're all like Simon the sorcerer with pride in our hearts that make us think we are great and that we can live our own lives and do our own things and make our own way and we're the captain of our ships. And the only thing that can change that is repentance. That is turning from your sin and turning to Jesus for forgiveness of our sin. And so Peter, in, his, in, in grace, Peter gives Simon an opportunity to do just that. Peter gives Simon an opportunity to truly respond to the Gospel and to be saved. Peter tells him in verse 22, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. But Simon refuses to repent. Simon refuses to pray. And instead he tells Peter to pray. In verse 24, you pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. How sad. How sober. Simon is still not broken over his sin. He's only concerned about avoiding punishment for his sin. But the only way that we can avoid eternal punishment is to place our complete trust in Jesus Christ alone. As Warren Wiersbe writes, a sinner who wants the prayers of others but who will not pray himself is not going to enter God's kingdom. Simon the sorcerer. Simon the magician here. He shows us. He's a living example before our eyes just how close a person can come to salvation and still not be saved. Simon heard the message of Jesus Christ. Simon saw the miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. Simon appeared to believe in Jesus Christ, and yet Simon was truly never saved. Simon never saw the Messiah the miracles pointed to, and consequently he never saw the ugliness of his own sin, the need for repentance, and the saving grace of the Savior who forgives us and grants us new life. Folks, listen, there is such a thing as a faith that does not save. Therefore, the most important question that we can answer this morning, right now, at this very moment, is do you have saving faith? There's nothing more important right now than each of us answering that question. Do I have saving faith in Jesus Christ? A faith that saves involves repentance of sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone, evidenced by the indwelling Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Make no mistake, the truth is we're all like Simon. Deep in our hearts, we all desire to be our own God like Simon declared himself to be. But the good news... Listen to me. The good news that, that the same Gospel that came to Simon, get this, has now come to us here today. The bad news is that we are sinners far from God, more sinful than we know, but the good news is that we are also 
loved more than we know. In fact, we are loved so much that God has made a way for us to come to Him through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. True saving faith recognizes our absolute sinfulness and it causes us then to turn to Jesus Christ in brokenness over our sin so that we can receive His forgiveness. Listen, there are some of you here this morning, you need to repent. There are some of us here this morning that need the forgiveness that only comes through Jesus Christ. There are some here this morning, you need your heart changed by the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you need to be saved. And we have a Gospel. We have a glorious, powerful Gospel which is able to do all of those things for us. For the Gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you have saving faith? Let us pray. Do you believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Do you have saving faith in Jesus Christ alone? Man, if not, then right now, I plead with you to do what Peter told Simon to do. Right now, where you're seated, to repent of your sin and pray to God for His forgiveness for your sins. And by faith, ask God to save you and to grant you new life in Jesus Christ. Listen, this is a serious matter. There is such a thing as a faith that does not save. But there is also a gospel that is powerful enough to save. Do you have saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the saving grace in the gospel. But Father, help us to examine our hearts now before you as to whether our faith is genuine. And if not, may you grant us the faith May you open up our eyes to help us see and grant us the faith necessary to repent of our sins and to trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The praise team's going to sing a chorus. And I, I encourage you, I exhort you and beg you to let God do a heart check and to respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, if you need to talk with one of us, even now, you can come and meet me even at the front of this altar. We'll help you. We'll talk with you. Or perhaps you're ready now, right where you're seated, to pray and receive Jesus Christ, whatever the case may be.